as you almost certainly know, a little less than a week ago, Kevin Conroy passed away. And if you're not familiar with his body of work, by now, if you're listening to podcasts, if you're on the internet, you are, because a unprecedented outpouring of support and adoration for the man just came like a tidal wave across nerd culture as people around the world celebrated the voice of Batman. The other day I was talking to Tiffany and the guys about how utterly spoiled my entire generation of nerds has been forever. And more specifically me, like how spoiled I have been because I grew up in a time when everything seemingly was made for me. Spider-Man comics look unlike they ever have in the history of the character, and then the artist who changed him takes every other artist in the industry and creates a company in real time that changes the game of comics forever. Then, less than a year later, comes out with this character that completely speaks to my demographic in the form of Spawn, and then that character gets a movie, a video game, an HBO animated series around the exact same time my parents coincidentally decide to pay for HBO, and an action figure line that, like comics before it, completely revolutionizes the business. My dad, out of the blue, just decides to start doing local community theater. The role he'll end up playing for the next several years in multiple adaptations of that play is in the form of Mr. Mushnick in a little-known off-Broadway musical called Little Shop of Horrors. Well, wouldn't you know it, the voice of Yoda happened to direct an adaptation of that movie not too long before this happened. And not only is the music incredible, and it features performances from some of your favorite actors in movies at that time, but also it features cutting-edge special effects that heretofore have never been replicated. A black-and-white satiristic comic book series that I find out of nowhere suddenly gets a hit amazing animated series in the form of The Tick, which also gets its own action figure line, that is then followed by a beloved live-action version, which again, by the way, comes out with a second live-action adaptation. Star Wars is dead and buried for decades, and then suddenly, a secret non-movie Star Wars adaptation comes out in the form of Shadows of the Empire, action figures, comic books, novels, video games, soundtracks, you name it. Oh, and we're not done talking about comic books, because if you like comic books, guess what? Just because they're on the fringe of society doesn't mean there aren't two dedicated pop culture magazines that are meant as humorous yet informative periodicals. Not to mention the comic book adaptations. Let's leave movies out of this. Let's just talk about the cartoon shows, including one of the most beloved Spider-Man adaptations of all time. Look, I love Spectacular myself, but everybody in my generation was salivating over the Spider-Man animated series and its complimentary action figure line, to say nothing of the X-Men animated series. But we're not done. Swamp Thing, The Mask, Fantastic Four, Iron Man, The Savage Effing Dragon, Wildcats, Avengers, The Max, Men in Black, and I'm gonna throw Gargoyles in there because while it didn't have a comic book compliment back then, it was still a revolutionary animated series that catered almost exclusively to our demographic. And yet, in 1992, head and shoulders leading the charge, the benchmark, the grade, the norm, the exemplar, the gold standard of cartoon comic book adaptations, Batman the Animated Series. Not forgetting the stupendous Superman animated series, which I didn't even appreciate back then because, of course, I was a Batman fan. 
And okay, I guess we can talk about movies for one second just because it is a movie adaptation of the animated series itself, but Batman the Animated Series ends up being not just an incredible adaptation of the show, and not just a really fun movie, but also still today one of the best on-screen depictions of Batman in movie history. Oh, and when that was over, they developed Batman Beyond, a nearly unparalleled example of a spin-off slash complimentary series, all of which lead the way to, in my opinion, the best entry point for the DC Universe in the form of the Justice League animated series. But getting right back to Batman the Animated Series and tying this whole thing together, for me, Batman the Animated Series represented the beginnings of my completely unreasonable expectations of popular culture. From the stunning character designs by Bruce Timm, to the outstanding stories by Paul Dini, to the magnificent musical scores by Shirley Walker, and the first-rate voice direction by Andrea Romano. Batman the Animated Series already was a class unto itself. But then you look at that cast. Ephraim Zimbalist Jr. and Bob Hastings are my Alfred and Jim Gordon, respectively. I do not picture anybody else. Mark Hamill's Joker? Outrageous. And I'm sure you've probably heard it already, but somebody leaked Tim Curry as the Joker because, of course, he was originally cast before Mark Hamill. And let me tell you something. It was good. I think we all would be celebrating it today. But Mark Hamill defines the character. And shoulder to shoulder with Mark Hamill was Kevin Conroy. Conroy's ability to differentiate between both Bruce Wayne and Batman only through voice was a masterclass. And like any actor, he was under no obligation to embrace the role. He could have taken it as a job and then moved on. He could have made some kind of declaration, I played Batman, that was my time, I'm moving on, I'm doing this, that, and the other thing. And it wasn't so much that he wouldn't let go of the character, but he had a depth of respect for the character that he seemed almost happy to lend his talent to this character for 30 years. At practically every appearance you saw him, in every interview, not only did he play the character for the thrill of the audience and interviewer, but he'd never leave any stone unturned. He'd do iconic lines or sing like an angel for us. I remember seeing On Leather Wings for the first time and thinking that there were two different voice actors for Bruce Wayne and Batman. There's a sequence with Batman in the Batcave and he gets a call from what is supposed to be, of course, the red herring for who the Man-Bat is. And he switches from Batman to Bruce Wayne. And you feel that moment where he is putting on a performance. He's pretending to be Bruce Wayne. And it is weird. It's jarring to hear the Bruce Wayne voice out of the Batman mouth despite the fact of the same mouth. In the episode I Am the Night, Gordon is gunned down by Jimmy the Jazzman, and you feel every moment that Batman feels in this episode. I just watched it, actually, the other day, and let me tell you, it is a bit melodramatic. Batman seems to be kind of fishing for support. He wants to know that he's making a difference out there. You know, there's a moment between him and Robin where he keeps making excuses for why he's ineffectual and Robin has to keep digging for more reasons why Batman should keep being Batman. There's also a fun little detail where there happens to be deeper in the cave, a brooding throne built into the rock where Batman can just really brood. Like normally he's broody, but like here's where he gets real broody. And yet Alfred and Robin both know where this throne is. So I'm sure it gets a lot of play. But there are also two really heavy moments in this episode. And the first one is when Batman observes that Gordon is the same age that his father would have been 
if he hadn't died. And suddenly, at least in the context of this show, you get their relationship. These guys are friends, they're colleagues, but really, Batman sees Jim as an authority. He sees him as a father figure. And almost losing Jim Gordon in the line of duty is so much that it makes him quit being Batman, if only for a few hours. The second moment is when Jim recovers and he observes that he wishes he were younger and could have been a hero like Batman. And Batman just looks at him and says, you are a hero, Jim. Chills every time. You know, and he's played Batman a number of times. He was in Justice League Action. He was in Justice League Unlimited. He was in Batman Brave and the Bold as both the Phantom Stranger and the Batman of Zurana. Both of them fun, nuanced performances that I really enjoyed. There were great cameos by him. And of course, the Arkham games. But I love him in the first three seasons of the animated series. But pretty much every other performance after that is Batman at work. It's Batman being Batman doing the job. We don't really go home with Batman too often. And even when we do, he's being Batman. There aren't a lot of characters in any of those shows that bring his guard down or make him feel like he needs to perform for them. But one of the benefits of it being one shared continuity is that it gives you the context to know that he can and has done that. And so you don't have to take it for granted. You're not like, oh man, I wish we could get that duality of Batman and Bruce Wayne again. I wish I could get that nuance. And I'm sure he looked at it as an opportunity to try something new. I mean, really, where that shines is in Mask of the Phantasm, which if you've ever been saving it or putting it off, you should watch, especially now. Mask of the Phantasm is just the top. It is a terrific series cap. If you ever want to be like, that's the end of the show for me. Or if you want to go, man, what if they weren't afraid to tell the biggest, most sensational love story for Batman on the screen? And the graveyard sequence where Bruce Wayne is begging his parents to let him off the hook because he's in love is just some of the best voice work in an animated movie that I've ever heard. And Shirley Walker doesn't waste a single musical note in that movie. Every single sequence is just pitch perfect for a musical score, especially the graveyard sequence. Pay attention to the foley and the music when Bruce is pouring his heart out. As you're just like, is the music, is the sound, is the lightning, is the storm, are, is that the Waynes reacting to him? Is that all in his head? Is the, it, There's so much in that scene. And that whole movie is made up of scenes just as awesome as that. So I can imagine you come after this show has already aired. Hell, you come after the DC animated universe has already come and gone. You go back and maybe it doesn't exactly have that kind of weight, doesn't have that kind of gravity. But I want you to understand if you're not sure, if you're on the fence, or if you're kind of like, look, I watched every episode of that show, I've watched every animated movie, it just isn't for me. I mean, the reality is, it isn't, because you didn't respond to it. That's fair, but you should understand at least the context of, we haven't had anything like this before or since. I would argue. There are some animated movies that DC has tried over the years that may become close or maybe reach the heights of certain post-the-animated series adaptations. I'd say that there are a few DC animated movies that came out that are pretty much as good as Batman Sub-Zero. But try to picture a world where 
you have very little in terms of superhero adaptations. You're told on a regular basis that they can never make a Spider-Man movie. All the cartoon adaptations are either weird or still on the horizon. Your sensibilities about what storytelling is all about are limited to what they force you to read in school and what you can find on your own and what you have between the pages of the comic books. And then suddenly, without warning, you get this phenomenon that is the Batman movie. You get a crazy-ass sequel that, as much as we all defend and love it today, back then was fucking weird. And then, between episodes of Eek the Cat and Bobby's World, we get this. A show where they animated on black paper. A show where they hand-painted title cards, a show where they had a movie-quality orchestra perform original compositions that are tailored around characters like Two-Face and Harvey Bullock, and we have triple-tier voice work from the likes of people like Kevin Conroy. As much as I was spoiled by having random things coincidentally come out around the same time that I happened to have interest in them, and get the fullest extent of that exploration... I mean, no one can tell me that they had any business making a big guy in Rusty animated series. But I think there is something special about the Batman animated series and the level of quality that it demanded that started an avalanche of interest in this world. While recording another show, my colleagues and I were talking a little bit about J. Jonah Jameson and his lineage, and the question was posed to me, was there ever a original comic book that focuses entirely on the origins of J. Jonah Jameson. Did anybody ever bother to talk about where he comes from? Because I made the assumption and assertion that J. Jonah Jameson was a self-made man, and I based that entirely on his attitude and the way that Marvel has portrayed him over the years. While he is a blowhard, he does use the Fourth Estate for just petty vengeance. But deep down inside, he is a newspaper man, and he does believe in the integrity of the truth and the written word. And I just kind of figured the Daily Bugle, like, existed in the Marvel Universe, and J. Jonah Jameson, like, worked in the mailroom, and then worked his way up, and maybe had some kind of a power struggle with the original owner, and then he took over the newspaper inevitably, and it's this really interesting kind of story about humble beginnings and becoming the enemy, that kind of thing. It turns out, just by doing a quick search for J. Jonah Jameson, now this is according to marvel.fandom.com, but it turns out that J. Jonah Jameson had an abusive father, and basically he had this concept that no one's a hero every day of the week. If my father can beat on me, then no one is truly good. Quote, even the real heroes can't keep it up all the time. And Jonah basically exemplified what he always wanted his father to be and the heroes that he didn't believe actually existed. He ended up becoming a Boy Scout and joining the high school photo club, which is what I found really interesting because, of course, this is where Jonah sees the kinship between himself and Parker. It's also where he met his first wife. So he and his wife bonded over photography! And then it turns out that Jameson wound up fighting three bullies and impressing Joan enough to fall in love with him. 
After high school, he joined the Daily Bugle as like a freelance reporter, but he started this conflict between himself and the editor of the school paper named Barney Bushkin, who was introduced back in like 67 and would become the publisher of the Daily Globe. I didn't know any of this. I didn't know that there was like this actual deep-seated rivalry between the Globe and the Bugle, but I love it. Now, so far, this all kind of jives with my original interpretation of Jonah, but apparently he bought the Daily Bugle with money that he got from his inheritance after his father died. Apparently, the original Daily Bugle was struggling financially, and so Jameson was able to get it for a song, but he still did use inherited money. He's the driving force behind the tabloid format, as they describe the Daily Bugle, and helped redefine it as a kind of sensationalist, clickbait-esque newspaper. But I, I really love J. Jonah Jameson as a character. I love the idea of how he gets started. I really like the fact that when we get to meet J. Jonah Jameson for the first time in Spider-Man comics, he's already a once widowed, grizzled old publisher of an institution of the city. And we just view all that through the lens of Peter Parker, Spider-Man. Now, I'm not saying I want Sony to start making J. Jonah Jameson movies, but I would love to see an original series about the origins of J. Jonah Jameson. You know, we never really see Jameson interact with Joan, his original wife. You know, we're all focused on Marla, but I would like to see more stories about what led to Jameson becoming the man that we knew him to be before all the recent changes, like him being a podcaster and a Spider-Man booster and knowing who Peter Parker is and stuff like that. By the way, speaking of him being a podcaster, where the hell is the Marvel-produced J. Jonah Jameson podcast? I don't understand why these really fun entertainment empires don't go the obvious route with some of these million-dollar ideas. I don't know if you guys have ever heard Dan Slott do an impression of J. Jonah Jameson, but one of the first videos we ever recorded for comics was from Baltimore Comic-Con when Tiff and I sat down with Dan Slott for a few minutes. I'm not going to play the audio, but let me tell you something. His J. Jonah Jameson is really solid. And while I wouldn't want to see Dan Slott play J. Jonah Jameson in like a movie or a TV show, I think he'd be a hell of a podcaster for the character. And given his chops and his knowledge of the character and universe, they wouldn't even really need to write anything. They could just let him go and see what he comes up with. Obviously, I think if you know something really well, if you know how something works, you want to impart as much of that knowledge as possible because not only does it make you feel good to be an expert or at least a novice about something, but it also is good to put out creative energy into the world. Help somebody else maybe get a leg up where you had to struggle. With respect to that, I like to talk a lot about the behind the scenes, how the sausage gets made, how I do what I do. And if you want that, honestly, I actually make a podcast about that that's exclusive only to the Patreon. I don't want to plug the Patreon because that's not what this is about. But if you want that kind of thing, it's actually over there. But the reason I brought it up is because I saw something in the Twitterverse today for as long as that exists, in which a bunch of talent, influencers you might say, TikTokers specifically, were outed in the press after having spent a lot of time and energy uh, slamming their former manager. I'm not going to use names, I don't want to get into it specifically, but I don't have much of a vested interest in it, and I don't have any stake in these people who are playing at it, but I think there's a lesson to be learned from the whole thing, because... 
We all love drama, especially drama surrounding our own little worlds that we've created for ourselves. But I think it's really important to keep a perspective about what you do in this world where you are a public figure in some respect, where you talk for a living to an audience, something like what I'm doing right now. I don't do this terribly lightly, though I also don't give this too much weight. And I think there's something important about striking a balance between what you do and how it's perceived. Because what you do today could be wholly irrelevant tomorrow, and how it's perceived today could be perceived very differently tomorrow. And so it's really important to maintain a healthy balance between those two things. And I think that the reason why there's so much juicy drama surrounding this particular instance is because we're dealing with very young people who don't have the benefit of experience. And the experience they do have is meteoric success in a very small window of time. I think that drama really hits us when we're adolescents, because I imagine that there's fun in gossip and being a tattletale when you're a child. But when you're an adolescent, you have the ability to process this information and reach a higher level of thinking, hopefully, where you're able to reinterpret this information from what you know about the people involved and put it through the lens of your own myopic experience. So you get to kind of pretend that you're a psychiatrist or a detective, and you have the immaturity to be able to indulge in that kind of thinking for an extended period of time. It's why people say, when you talk about this kind of thing, what, are you still in high school? And for some of these players, it's like, kinda, or I just graduated recently, and so as a result, I'm still kind of in that mindset, especially if I'm looking at this, talking about whatever, superhero movies, comic books, for a living on the internet, as some kind of viable career. You don't think that it'll end, and you can't imagine any other scenario. And when you don't have that kind of hindsight, you don't see the forest for the trees, so to speak. And so you make a lot of really big decisions that maybe felt good in the moment, but actually end up hurting you down the line. Whether that's hurting you by souring relationships that may have helped you further in your career, or losing sight of why you make this content in the first place, and getting embroiled in a new type of content that is ultimately fleeting, and may help you in the short term, but will ultimately bury you when you or your audience run out of steam. I think that the only reason to focus on any kind of drama online is to really only use it in like an anthropological sense. To observe it from a far away distance. A really wise man once told me that it's important to get the balcony view of any given situation. And you'll be able to master that situation a lot better than if you do it from the ground. I thought it might be fun to get some affirmation, maybe some motivation, from a figure that you are very familiar with. Somebody whose work you have almost certainly enjoyed in some form or another and since we've been kind of on a 90s kick i thought it'd be really great to get that information from our friend in the studio todd freaking mcfarlane everybody's listening to me i'll make you 100 percent guarantee on something i'm gonna give you a piece of advice that would be 100 percent. there's 100 percent guarantee if you never do something you will be 100 percent failure at it so this is easy this is easy this is bizarre to a guy like me who's just way too competitive <laughs> if you Try and figure out ways to talk yourself out of doing the thing that you wish you could do. You're not built for it. 
you're not built for it. People will say, oh, we can't do what you do, Todd, because uh, it was a different time. Okay, there's excuse number one. Okay, uh, that, that, okay, whatever. How about Robert Kirkman? Came along eight year, years later. Yeah, but Robert Kirkman is slightly different because he had this. Okay, so it's not Robert Kirkman either. Okay, let's go to the next one. What about Brian K. Vaughn? Right. Yeah, but he's got like, and what happens is by your fourth excuse, you're just not built for it, right? You don't have the stomach for the fight, for the war, what you're about to do, right? Yeah. Which, which is weird, which is weird. Or you, you, what I run into, and I understand this completely because this is personalities, and I have to give everybody their personality, and we're not all built the same, God bless, right? It yeah. would be a crazy world that they, people were like me because I despise myself at the end of the day most times. Um, that that they, people go, well, I don't know if I'll, I can do it, and I don't know if anybody give me a chance. And so here's what I know. If you don't give a shit about yourself and you don't want to invest in yourself, no other human being cares about you more than yourself. Nobody. Right. My wife doesn't care about me and, and my mom doesn't care about me as much as I do. They, they have to take care of themselves and then they can share their love and their gratitude someplace else. So if you can't fight for yourself, woo, no other human being will. That's a, that's, a, that's a given. That's a given. So you've got two choices. You've got two choices. You can either, A, do what I think you should do as your dad, is I think you should, you should try right? You should try. And the worst thing about trying is that if it doesn't work out, you didn't lose, you didn't lose much. You can go right back to where you were. I, 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 to me, I call it cutting your hair. Ah, I'm going to try this radical new hairstyle. And if I don't like it, your hair will grow back. You can go back to the exact same fashion you were doing before. But every now and then, people who tempt that succeed. This is it. I, I'm a simpleton. Just so everybody knows, I got C's and D's in high school. I was, I was a 2.0 student in college. What are you talking about? It was only near the end when I got to take some art classes. I sort of brought the average up. I knew nothing about comics. I knew nothing about business. I knew nothing. I just basically just wanted to be in it so bad that I willed myself into those businesses and then I slowly taught myself the language. It's just, I, I think business is just a language, so I call myself bilingual. I know art and I know business. So you can do that. You can, you can, you can raise your hand and you can be the person, go, I'll do it, I'll do it, I'll do it. And, I, and, I, and, and as your dad, I recommend you doing it. Now, the other option is I'm going to give you the other Todd. I'm going to give you Todd McFarland, the businessman. And here's what Todd McFarland, the businessman, says to you. I hope you don't do it. <laughs> because if you don't do it, ladies and gentlemen, guess what? I never have to compete with you. I never have to get better. I never have to improve. I never have to go, oh my God, did you see these new people doing what they're doing with their toys and comics and movies and ideas? Like, it's crazy good. Oh my gosh, I'm going to have to run faster in this race. But if you never want to go in the race, you're going to make my life easy. So please don't join in, right? But I'm telling you, every now and then, the IBMs of the world get just a little bit fat and dumb and happy and lazy. And then the person who listened to the first Todd, the dad Todd, the Steve Jobs of the world, they're everywhere. These people have been littered through since the dawn of man, the rebels, the troublemakers, the people who rocked the boat. You're going to get every single one of those banners put on top of you. You should wear them with a badge of honor. Uh, and they're the people that just go, I'm not taking no for an answer.
Have an awesome day at work, and thanks for listening. <laughs>